Well, again, welcome to the harvest, and uh, especially uh, to mothers. Uh, happy Mother's Day tomorrow, but we're getting ready for it, and so uh, this is a great season that we're in. And also the approach of Pentecost, a memorial to that time in which we became the people of God, received the law of God, uh, we're recipients of the outpoured spirit. What a great, great season to be in. So uh, Shabbat Shalom to each and every one of you. So today I want to talk about um, Pentecost, freedom to live holy and happy lives. You know, freedom means a lot of different things to a lot of people, a lot of different things. Before I go on, I'm going to need you to put my clock up, Don, so I can see where I'm at. So I'll just keep going and going and going, and then all the mothers, all the mothers are going to be mad at me if I miss that part of the service, though. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, so freedom means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? Our ancestors in Egypt understood it in the context of physical slavery and misery. Passover and Pentecost illustrated the concepts of slavery and freedom. It was from that framework that God would begin to set the stage for them to understand these realities from a greater perspective, a spiritual and eternal context. In fact, it's in Yeshua that all of this comes into focus. He is the second and greater Moses. He ushered in the second and greater Passover. He initiated and established the second and greater covenant, the new covenant that Jeremiah had prophesied. Yeshua ignited the second and greater Pentecost. So it is in Yeshua the Messiah that we all get our introduction firsthand into the spiritual realm of light and love and liberty. This is the realm of freedom. The kingdom of God is the domain of freedom, true and abiding freedom. Life in him is the life of God intended for all of us from eternity past. So now let me wake you up for this teaching through this controversial saying. Are we ready? You can live your best life now. I want you to just, I want you to bear with me, right? It's a big controversial statement. I want to state clearly, in Messiah, you can live your best life now. Oh, you say, yeah, in America you can, but what about a third world country, right? What about the Middle East? What about Iran? I don't care where you live. Communist China, I don't care where you live. You can live your best life now. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, in Messiah, you can live your best life now. I mean, what else would you live? A mediocre life? You can live your mediocre life now. I mean, who wants that? You can, you can live your nightmare now. Yeah, sign me up. In Jesus, we have the life of God, a new beginning, our best life before us. We can live that now. John chapter 10, 7 through 10. So Jesus said to them again, truly, I, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, 
but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came 2,000 years ago that we might have life in the here and now. The fact that we have eternal life is already a given. What about the now? I'm a now person. Now I'm grateful for eternity, but God, hear me now, right? Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly now on earth as it is in heaven. An abundant indestructible life right now this is what jesus brought this was the good news that so many people were desiring so in him we can have and live our best life now jumping down to 27 it says this 27 and 28 my sheep hear my voice i know them they follow me and i give them and i give eternal life to them. I give eternal life to them. I'm not, it doesn't say I will give them eternal life after a bad life in some age to come. No, he says, I'm, I'm giving that to them right now. I give now to my followers life eternal. They will never perish. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, shall rise again. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I went from an angry, alienated, arrogant, resentful young man to a deeply humbled and grateful at peace with God and his parents, young man. I had a life-saving salvation encounter with Jesus when I was in a really bad place. It transformed me. It changed me. I remember, I remember, I think it was my first year after I was uh, born again. Man, God so changed me. You know, I was so humbled, number one, because I was demonized. I was out of my mind. I was, I was, I was, you know, I was just messed up in, in a, lot, a lot of different ways. And, and when he saved me, I was so grateful. I was so relieved because I was panic-stricken in terms of the place I'd gotten myself into. I was so glad that God had saved me, so glad that he forgave me, so glad that he loved me. It changed me. I was so hard on my mom and dad. I was angry. You know, I had the adoption syndrome, and I, I, I didn't like my parents, and they weren't my parents anyway, and, and I just did things to, like, uh, you know, upset them. And uh, all, of, all of a sudden, I'm writing letters. You know, I'm, I'm sitting, sitting, you know, at the table writing letters to my mom and to my dad, and I'm crying when I'm writing them. You know, I'm thinking, what, what is wrong with me, right? And I'm just saying, Mom, Dad, I'm so sorry for this, or I'm so sorry for that, and I remember I did this, and would you forgive me? And man, I was just like, I was just all about really honoring them for the first time in my life. Why? Because Jesus changed me. I got born again. Got a new life. And everything began to change. Now, I had a lot of issues that I still had to work on, but I was happy to work on them. 
now that I was saved, I was ready and willing to work on these things to start this journey of living my best life now. 1 John 5.11 says this, And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. You can write now in your margin. Testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You might be living, but it's not the life that God intended. Certainly not your best life. It's only in the Son that we have our best life, a true life, an indestructible life, a life filled with joy and purpose and meaning. Yeah, I'm so thankful for my life in Messiah. Thank you, Jesus. It's amazing in every way. What a gift. So life in the Son not only brings us the power of the Holy Spirit, but also the royal law of our King. Shavuot is oftentimes boiled down to the outport spirit. So when we think of Pentecost, we think of the outport spirit. In fact, most of the sermons concerning Shavuot, Pentecost, are about the outpoured spirit. I do not want to diminish that in any way. But I want to remind everyone, that's not the only theme. There's another theme. It's the giving of the law to the people of God. Those whom he redeemed, he gave his royal law to. He is a king. Every king has a law, right? And he gave us his law. As summed up in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the summary of the law. Every king has a law. Every kingdom has rules to live by. And those laws are a way of life that help create culture and community. God's royal laws define what it means to love God and what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh, we got to love God. Yep, everyone agrees. Got to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yep, everyone agrees. Uh, agrees. Well, what does it mean to love God? What does that look like? What does it mean to love my neighbor? What does that look like? See, if you don't have definitions for love, you can end up with a weird kind of love at the end of the day, right? How does God define that? You know, what does it mean to love him? What does it mean to love our neighbor as ourself? As we submit ourselves to the compassionate rule and reign of God, to his kingdom, we begin to understand what it means to be free, what it means to have a personal relationship with him. It's only in Messiah that these things become a reality. We begin to understand what true love is and what it looks like when it's lived out. We begin to understand what good and evil is. It gets confusing, doesn't it? Try to define good and evil. You know, there's a lot of overlap. It's not easy to sort out. It takes a person born again, filled with the Spirit of God, to be able to discern the difference between the good and the evil. Confusion, which dominates the dominion of sin, 
begins to dissipate, clarity on all the issues increases in Messiah. Our job is to enjoy the journey of growing in the grace and knowledge of Yeshua under the rule and reign of God as we embrace his laws as a way of life. This is what it means to live life in Messiah. So again, there's two great themes of Shavuot. The giving of the law of God as a way of life for the redeemed and the outpoured spirit of God to transform and empower us to live as his people. In Messiah, we become the people of God. The Jew first, then the Gentile. So the Gentiles get grafted in to the Israel of God, to believing Jews. We get grafted in and we participate with them as the Israel of God. We become his people. And now that we're his people, he says, I want you to live a different way. I want you to think differently, act differently, live differently. You're not Egyptians any longer. You're no longer under that kingdom, under those laws, those rules, those definitions of good and evil. You're under a new set of definitions. So we're called to walk to the people of God, and his law defines that for us. So let's talk about the law of our king. The law of God is summarized in the Ten Commandments. It's written on your heart. The beauty of the new covenant is that God, by his spirit, writes his laws on your heart. <sighs> Scratch and sniff. <laughs> you, know, you know, many, many Christians don't understand that. They don't understand what's already there. Your job is to help them scratch and smell and, and realize there's something there that's beautiful, that's wonderful, that's sweet, that's peaceful. That's the law of God. Hebrews 10, 16 says this, This is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws on their hearts and on their mind. I will write them. This is a quote from Jeremiah. We translate into English... This word we translate as law comes from the Hebrew word Torah. He's going to write his Torah, his instructions on how to live as his people. He's going to write that on our hearts. It's the same Torah that was foundational to the covenant of Moses. Under the new covenant, that Torah makes its way right into our hearts. People more and more coming to realize the truth of that. We've been living for the last couple decades in kind of this uh, celebration of being freed from the law of God. But due to the Messianic movement, the church is rethinking that and beginning to move back to that. But I think it's so beautiful in so many ways. I mean, think about it. The Ten Commandments. Who could be against those, right? The Ten Commandments. The law of God written on our hearts. Remember the Sabbath day to observe it and keep it holy. You know, you know when, I, when I got born again, all of a sudden I'm reading the scriptures in new light. Actually, I'm reading the scriptures in light for the first time. Yeah. 
I'm reading that and I'm thinking to myself, wow, never saw that before. That's pretty plain and simple. Remember the Sabbath to change it to Sunday. No, that's how it used to read to me. That's how it used to read to me. But now that the lights are on, I'm reading and it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, the day Jesus went to church on. Yeah, a return to the ways of God. We're kingdom people. This is a kingdom law. This is the day the king has made for his people to gather, assemble, to worship him, to receive instructions from him. I've enjoyed new believers who have no religious background. I just, there's a special place in my heart when people get saved and they have no, they have no home setting prior to that that was Christian in any way. I love that. When I point this out, to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, you know, this is the day we go to church on, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, well that makes sense. A rest day? You wanted, oh man, that makes sense. What, what time does that happen at, you know? No problem whatsoever. They see it. It's clear. It's easy, right? But you get someone that's been raised in a Christian home, once they get born again, you share that, it's like, oh my gosh, who let the dogs out? You know? You got to do so much work helping them to see something so plain and simple, you have to scratch your head. How can they not see that? Well, 2,000 years of teaching that's undermined that and has tried to justify the move of that from one day to another. That's hard to uh, undo. I love the law of God. The law of our king. It identifies us with him and his kingdom. It's everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 12 says this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Everyone, Paul says later on, everyone is spirit-led. Paul makes an astonishing statement in that he says everyone is led by a spirit. He says we should be led by the Holy Spirit. But make no mistake about it. Unbelievers are led by a spirit or two or three. Everyone's being led. We're all being influenced. Whether we realize it or not. Paul says you should be led by the Holy Spirit because there's a lot of spirits out there. But no one's devoid of being influenced by spirits. It says, we've received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Don't you want to know what God has given you? Don't you want to know what the benefit package is? Right? The provisions? Yeah. I mean, how fun is Hanukkah if you don't unwrap the gifts? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got all these gifts. Yeah, what are they? I don't know. Why don't you open them up? No, I don't care. Yeah, of course you do. Everyone wants to see what they have. You know, God, Paul's saying, hey, hey you know what? You're, you're, you're given the Holy Spirit so that you can understand what you've been given by God. Amen. 
The Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and minds so that we can understand what He's given us. Our minds need to be enlightened. We have to be illuminated. The Holy Spirit comes to say, hey, this is what this actually is all about. Let me introduce you to your gifts, your provisions. Let me introduce you to your privileges. What we all need is a little bit of covenant privilege. Because if you got covenant privilege, well, it is our Father's world. Things are going to work out for you. Things are going to work out for me. We need to invite the Holy Spirit into our Bible studies. If you studied the Bible without the Holy Spirit, good luck with that. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the illuminator. The Holy Spirit is the revealer. The document you are reading is a spiritual document. It's not calculus. It's not a textbook on calculus. You do not need the Holy Spirit for a textbook on calculus or world history or whatever. But the Bible, the scriptures, they are a real spiritual document and they're locked up. There's a lot of mysteries there. And the Holy Spirit says, I'll open it up for you. If we don't invite the Holy Spirit, what do you think we're going to get in terms of understanding? Not much. We got to stop and you know, slow down. And before we crack open the word of life, we got to stop and say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, I'm waiting on you. I need you. I can't understand this without you. You and I need a relationship with the third person of the triune nature of God, the Holy Spirit. Most homeschoolers are homeschooled by their mothers, not their fathers. Most, generally speaking. I'm not making a value judgment on that. I'm just saying that moms tend to be good teachers. Generally speaking, right? The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Don't just open up the Bible. Don't go, don't go just right into your prayers or stop. Invite the Holy Spirit. Wait on the Holy Spirit. And then, then submit yourself as you go into those times of study and ask questions. Holy Spirit, what does this mean? Holy Spirit, what does that mean? What are you saying to me? How do I apply this to my life? The Holy Spirit is more than thrilled to illuminate and bring you into the light. So I'm up in Glenwood Springs. I usually walk out here. Can I do that with the Omer? Don't want to knock anything over. So I'm up in Glenwood Springs in my favorite hot, hot pool. You know, how many people have been up there? Yay. I love that place. The Holy Spirit loves Glenwood Springs. <laughs> so I'm up there, you know, in the pool, and I'm just praying, 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 God, divine appointment. I want to talk to someone about Jesus, you know. I just listen to the Holy Spirit saying, well, turn to this person and say this, turn to that person. I'm saying, no, 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 I can't do that. I'm not an initiator, you know. I'm a responder. So you got to get them to ask me a question first. I'm a chicken. Have someone ask me a question. So nothing happened. But the next day, I think the Holy Spirit forgave me. 
and this guy gets in the pool and starts talking with me, you know. So I'm talking to him. He's a radio host guy, and he, he does his radio program, and, and he does all kinds of stuff, and he's just this high extrovert know-it-all. He just knows everything. He's just going on and on, and, and it's just all kinds of like way out there stuff. This is like, who was that guy? Art Bell. Remember Art Bell? What was that show called? Coast to Coast with Art Bell, you know? He was that kind of guy. He was that kind of guy, you know? And so I'm thinking to myself, man, how do I even get a question in? Because it's like a monologue, you know? So he's just going and going and going. So finally, you know, I started asking him some questions, and then Bill came along, and Bill's asking questions, and, and it became really super obvious that this guy had a lot of knowledge and had the spirit of the world which trained him in that knowledge. And most of that knowledge was just like, wasn't doing much for him. So I tried to share someone, something right from the word of God. And he went into like crazy uh, spell. He couldn't even like, he's like, is that in the Bible or the Talmud? I said, it's the Bible. He said, the Talmud? I said, the Bible. He says, no, it's in the Talmud. I said, no, it's in the Bible. Well, isn't the Talmud the Bible? I'm thinking, oh my good grief, you know? So, so it became apparent that no matter what I was to say, number one, he's, he's not interested. Number two, he can't even understand it. It put him in a real kind of like brain shut down. Like, what, what? I'm confused. You know, the Bible, you know, just, I thought about myself, yeah. It was interesting to note that without the Spirit of God, we're not going to understand the Bible. Because the Bible is a, a Bible that God says is reserved for those who love him, for subjects of his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 2.13 goes on to say, which things we also speak. Let me, let me read 12 again, and we'll move into 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, verse 13, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. It's a spiritual document understood only by those who are spiritual, those who are born again. Ready for this? The law of God is spiritual. The law of God is spiritual. Romans 7.14 says that expressly. The law is spiritual. It's intended specifically for a spiritual people. God gives a spiritual law to a spiritual people, to those whom he has redeemed. They came out of Egypt. He didn't give them the law in Egypt. He didn't come say, here's my law, do my law. If you do my law, you'll be saved. He came in and says, you're already damned and lost and confused. Let me save you first and make you my people. Now that I've made you my people, here's one of those things I'm giving you, my law. It's deeply and profoundly spiritual. My ways are not your ways. They are different, but they yield the blessing. You must be born again from above, from heaven. You have to be a spiritual creation in order to understand them. One of the great gifts of God is the law of God. 
Verse 12. The law is also holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. It is spiritual. It's holy. It is righteous. And it is good. So the law of God is specifically made for a spiritual people and a holy people. In Messiah, we are holy. He's made us holy. He set us apart, and then he gave us a way of life that, that safeguards that holiness. You are a holy people. Not a perfect people. Not a sinless people. You're holy, though. You're his. You're set apart. You belong to him. And he's given us a new way of life. And that life is characterized as holy and righteous and good. Not perfect, but holy, righteous, and good. If you're not born again, this law and its associated blessings are not for you. Not for you. You get the wisdom of this world with its associated curses. God's inviting you into the light, but if you want to dwell in the darkness, that's your choice. Choose the light. Choose the good. Come into the light through Messiah. Verse 14, Paul says, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. They are foolishness. When you talk about the things of God with people that are not born again, and not wanting to be born again, most of what you say, they just laugh at that. They mock that. They think it's silly. I have conversations all the time. I walk away feeling like a nutcase, you know, because I'm talking to someone who just thinks that's some weird stuff. Like what planet do you live on? You know? Yeah, it's foolishness to this world. They're not going to applaud you. They're going to ridicule you. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Not he will not, he cannot understand them. Because they are spiritually appraised. When you're talking to people, if they're not open, don't waste your time. Don't sign up to be mocked. Be respectful, disengage, move on. Find those who are lost, who are open. And then share. Lead them into the light. You know, we have secular teachers in our public schools, in our universities. We have teachers and professors that are very wise, very wise in things that they have studied, that they've been educated in, that relate to this natural realm. Things like reading, writing, arithmetic, the sciences, they're very educated in those things. Tell your kids, listen to them, learn from them, right? Very educated. That's important. Those are natural disciplines. But when it comes to God, his kingdom, his ways, good and evil, spiritual things, they have no training in that. They have no wisdom in that. No insight into those areas of spiritual truths and spiritual realities. Remind your children, if you're not homeschooling, remind them. Your teacher's going to give you a lot of good things, and then in these other areas, they really don't know what they're talking about. Come talk to me. 
You know, if they're sharing things with you that, that deal with, with these areas that are spiritual, moral issues, you know, the difference between good and evil, come talk to mom and dad. Because we know so much. We're so educated and up on that stuff. If it's algebra, leave me alone. I will mis- I'll mislead you every time, right? So, First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15 goes on to say, But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet himself, he himself, is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, right? Who knows the mind of God, right? Listen to what it says. But we have the mind of Messiah. We who? We who are born again. We who are born again. We have the mind of Messiah who is one with God. Emmanuel, God with us. We have his mind. What does that mean, right? It means that we have the capability to understand things far greater than the world around us. We have the intellect, potentially, of God. We have his view, his perspective. We get to see things through his eyes. To have the mind of Messiah insinuates that we have at our disposal his intelligence in matters of importance to us. That's everything. We live in a crazy upside-down world. It is so bizarre. I I feel like I live in a science fiction movie, you know? That's what it feels like I'm living in. And without the anchor of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit highlighting and illuminating my mind and my understanding, I don't know how I'd make it through all the craziness. There's a phenomenon in psychology if you're a clinician and you work in the field and you work with, with um, some of us crazies, you have to do like group sessions on a regular basis with other psychologists. Because there's this phenomenon in psychology called transference. So when you sit around talking to people who are just kind of crazy in a positive way, after a while, that transfers, and you start to lose your rationale. You actually begin to exhibit some of that psychosis. And so what they do is they say, you get to do X amount of hours with people that are struggling mentally, and then you have to meet with other psychologists in a group that get to do some group things with you to make sure you're not getting caught up in that through transference, a real phenomenon, right? So I'm thinking to myself, how do we stay on that straight and narrow if we don't have some interaction with others on the straight and narrow? That's, I'm telling you right away, catch me on a Friday, I'm a little bit off. But after today, I'm back on track. As I move through the week, interacting with a bunch of crazies out there, 
I start to get a little crazy too. So we need the word of God. We need each other. We need community to stay the course, to stay courageous in our sharing of the love of God through Messiah. All right, so in summary, liberty has a domain just like slavery has a domain, a dominion, a geography, if you will. The dominion of liberty is, in fact, the kingdom of Messiah. Wherever the Lord is, there is liberty. The kingdom of Messiah, who is king of kings and lord of lords, he has a kingdom, and we live in that realm that is our realm, a realm of liberty, where there's life, eternal life, indestructible life. It is a kingdom of revelation and insight, a kingdom of love and beauty, a kingdom of power and holiness. It is like everything our hearts have ever longed for. It's a kingdom of truth. We're in a post-truth America. It's a post-truth America that you and I live in. Truth is no longer relevant. You don't even need to bring it up. Who cares about truth? It's not fact or evidence that we want or need. It's whatever the mob says. If the mob says it's good, it's good. If the mob says it's evil, it's evil. Society determines what's good and evil. And I'm saying, really? I don't think so. There is an objective truth revealed by the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. And that's what's real and abiding and eternal. And that's where I'm going for information on any subject or any issue, both in my life, my marriage, my family, my business, in the world I live in. I'm going there. Holiness is defined in God's written word that he's also placed in our hearts. And when we live it, we experience holiness. And this is what it means to be free. Free to do what God has called us to do. Not, not, not free, Freedom isn't living any way you want to live. It's living how you ought to live. And how you ought to live cannot be lived that way unless you're born again and filled with the Spirit. So it's, it's contrary to everything that we know in the world. So in conclusion, the local, the, the local congregation, the local congregation is a bulwark against the kingdom, the dominion of sin and shame. A dominion that's based and rooted in lies and deception. And the only way out of that is an encounter with the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And Jesus is that truth. So when we encounter Jesus, we encounter the truth. And then we have subsets of truth underneath that that heighten the experience of truth in our life. If we're not in a local congregation or elder accountable house church, get in one. The gifts of God are given to ordered and accountable communities of believers. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, 
That's given to communities of faith. Studying and applying the Word of God outside of a community of believers is risky. I have friends, they don't go anywhere, they're not plugged in anywhere, but they study all the time in their basements, in their mother's basements. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> our mothers love us. If we didn't have fathers, we'd live in our mother's basements forever. And they'd be happy to let us. Okay. So, I have friends who study on their own. And they come up with some of the wackiest stuff I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm thinking, man, bro, you need to get some help. Never study alone. It's not a good thing to study alone. I have other friends that tell me that smoke skunk that's legal in Colorado now. They tell me, they say, they say, I get some of my deepest, best revelations when I'm high. I mean, they tell me, in all seriousness, they're telling me they get their best insights when they're high. I'm thinking, you need a congregation. The basement's bad enough, but high on top of it? What are you thinking, right? What are you thinking? I'm high on Jesus. Yeah, I'm high on the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I get my best revelations when I'm high on the Holy Spirit. Woo! Soon that'll be illegal. They legalize pot, but will make illegal, you know, anything that's spiritually from God. All right, so 2 Peter 1.20 says this. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Study on your own, and you know what? Go talk to someone else. Or have a little weed and talk to yourself. But you don't get to talk to me, because I don't got time for that. You and I need a congregation, because we're never going to get the truth of any matter on our own. God's going to give a little bit to everybody in the community. And the community together is going to find the sweet spot of the interpretation of any text and its application. That's by design. That's how God designed it. The gifts are given to the communities, not individuals. They're meant to be a communal experience. We need each other. I do. I come up with some really good views from time to time. And then I bring them up in the community of faith and they get bounced around in the field of debate and I'm no longer thinking that my idea was so good. But I realize I need that. That's a safeguard for me so I, I don't get off track. It takes a community of believers to safeguard the integrity of biblical interpretation and application. The local community is the very institution which provides safe haven for the people of God, their families, their pursuits, their wealth, 
It's the local community. It safeguards the family. The family on its own is not going to be able to weather the storm of the state, of the government. But the church has always been a bulwark, interposing itself between the state and the families. And it's worked over and over and over. Believers united and organized together can actually push back evil in their societies and keep it in check. Love Jesus and love his bride. Love Jesus and connect with his bride. Love Jesus and join a local church which represents his bride in that place. There's no perfect local churches, by the way. I understand the hypocrisy and the downside. But that's okay. We're not called to be perfect. We're called to be real. I don't know of any perfect marriages. Are we going to tear down marriage because there's no perfect marriage? Of course not. We're going to work towards that. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth. The truth about God. The truth about the Messiah. The truth about you and who you are. The truth about race. A lot of talk about race today, isn't there? The truth of the matter is there's only one race. The human race. And the human race comes in an array of colors. And every one of us in every place carries the image of God. We're equal, all of us, in worth and dignity. We're to fight for each other's worth and dignity and equal opportunity in the world that God has given to us. As a community, as part of the kingdom, that's what we do. It's about uniting and healing and understanding each other not dividing and demonizing each other. The truth about sexuality. Hear a lot about sexuality nowadays. You should see what they're trying to teach your kids. It's abhorrent. The truth about gender. The truth about marriage. The truth about conception, pregnancy, and birth. The truth about wealth creation. The truth about government. The truth about good and evil. I mean, each and every one of these could be a sermon all on its own. The truth about the pursuit of happiness. You know, we have that in our, our Declaration of Independence. You know, we have these inalienable rights that come from God. They're from God, not governments. Governments can't give them, and governments can't take them away. Actually, we actually representatives in place to secure our inalienable rights. Their job is to protect the individual's right, not the community's rights, not the common good. That's communism. Everyone has individual rights from God. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let me just say about the pursuit of happiness, you know. This is such a, a beautiful, beautiful biblical truth. You think God's happy? Do you think God's happy? 
That is not. Okay, thank you. God is very happy. Okay? God is happy. Why is God happy? God, God is happy because God is free. Part of the reason God's happy is he's free. And what's he free to do? He's free to do what he wants to do because that's freedom. To do what you want to do. So God's doing what he wants to do and he's really happy being able to do what he wants to do. So he makes us in his image and we have inside of us a desire to be free to do what we want to do like our Father in heaven. That's liberty. That's liberty. God says, I've made each and every one of you in my image. I know your heartbeat, your passions. You're unique in every way. And I want you to do what I've put deep inside of your heart to do, whatever that might be in life. Do that. Pursue that. That's called the pursuit of happiness enshrined in our declaration. It's part of the kingdom of God, the will of God for us. And that we're to secure that not only for us, but for everyone around us and to fight for that for every human being on the earth. To help them to understand who God is, what life is, what it means to be free. And that God's heart is that we would be able to do what he's made us to do. The word of God speaks on so many different issues. The truth about true liberty and true freedom. The truth about how you and I can live our best life now. So, truth, our motto, right? Embrace it. Live it. Share it. First with your children. First with your children. And now that I'm speaking of that, Alicia, would you go down and release Jess? And if I can get some people to put some chairs up here, I need... Some, someone who's strong, and uh, I need these two chairs over here. Great. Pastor Chris, thank you. He wasn't going to come until I said, I need someone who's strong. <laughs> I, 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 had, I, had, I had some trash. I had some, some, some dirt and, and lawns, lawn, actual lawn and stuff, and it was too heavy to put in our trash cans. My wheels bowed, and I got like commercial trash, and it was just so much... So I had to get Don because I couldn't even get it out myself. So we're both struggling, you know, to get it out, get it in, in, in the back of my car. And so uh, I'm taking it to a dumpster. And uh, I told Pastor Chris, I said, I need your help. I need your help. I said, this bag's so heavy. There's no way I can get it out by myself. It took me and Don, and we, and we both could hardly even do it, you know. So he met me out there at the dumpster to do it. And I opened up the back, and uh, he helped me. Yeah, I couldn't even get to him. He just grabbed it by himself and picked it up. <laughs> Just he kind he kind of I can tell he's under a little bit of stress, you know. I thought unbelievable. He's like this guy's like a gorilla, man. He's just like I was shocked. He's so strong. All right. Truth. Embrace it. Live it. Share it. First with your children. First with your children. My dog O'Malley died. I had a beautiful white bull terrier. His name was Father O'Malley. He, he died. We had to let him go. It was very sad. We loved our dog very, very much. So my, my daughter, Jess, she says to her son, Son, O'Malley's gone. 
what? Yo, Mally's gone. He, he, he died. He goes, yes! Yes! So she says, son, what, what, what are you doing? I mean, why, why are you? he's dead. Yes! Well, what does that mean? He says, well, when people die, they go to heaven. But when dogs die, they go to aisle seven where they fight Christmas. What? They go to aisle seven where they fight Christmas. That's where dogs go, you know? Now, now let me just share with you, if you're new, if you're new, he's not anti the birth of Jesus. But he's been taught by his mother that we can't worship God in pagan syncretism where we take pagan things, mix it with good things, and then celebrate that. So that's why he was saying, that's what O'Malley's fighting now in heaven, you know, these, these pagan mixtures, you know. Now, how did he get that? He got that from his mother and, and from his father. Yeah, we teach our children the ways of God. We cannot rely on the public schools to do that. We've got to be proactive. We've got to teach our kids these spiritual values, these laws of God, to help them to create a bulwark because they're going to get the opposite when they go to school. So, we need to teach ourselves through our communities, each other, then our children, then our family and friends outside of the community, then our neighbors, and even the stranger who we interact with from time to time. This is how we share the gospel, how we share the truth of God. Okay. I'll close with this verse, John 10.10. 10. We've already read it. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. As we move into Shavuot, I want you to remind yourself, you not only need the Holy Spirit, you need the law of God. It's the law of God that the Holy Spirit comes to teach us. The Holy Spirit's there to enable us to walk in the law of God. To have just the Holy Spirit, it's not very meaningful. Or to have just the law of God, not very meaningful. At Shavuot, we receive both the law of God, become his people, and the outpoured spirit. That's what we're going to memorialize and emphasize and recommit our lives to in this season that we're in. So that's it. Shabbat Shalom.